Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 163 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. Are you a grandmaster athlete? meaning someone who has been active their entire life and is really looking to have more life in their years, not just to watch the calendar peel back and to move up to the next age group and think about slower speeds or shorter rides, but you actually want to improve the vitality as well as the spring in your step so that you're fitter, faster, and stronger over the age of 50. This podcast is for you. Dr. Jim Slauson and I sat down and spoke about what it means to coach and train as a grandmaster athlete. Now that title is Jim's idea. Jim and I worked together for about a year and a half, a little bit more than a year and a half. And every time we'd have a conversation, I'd hang up the phone or close Zoom and say, man, I wish I would have recorded that because that would make a great podcast. Such great questions he has and perspective and connecting some things that really identify and are just themes that I've seen over and over again with the Masters athletes that I coach. Well, we finally sat down and made it happen, and this is a absolutely fantastic podcast. We talked about what success actually means, how to blend together your immediate short-term goals and your long-term goals, and how do we build you with a long-term mentality with lots of short-term wins so that you're excited so that you can attend Dr. Peter Atia's Centurion Decathlon, as he has put forth on his podcast. Now, this is a really great podcast. I've gone through this a couple times here in editing and just really just left everything alone because there's so much great information here. Now, one of the challenges that we had, or at least I had on my side of the microphone during this conversation is that usually when we spoke, we had two or three bullet points that we would go through that would kind of be uh, the main focuses from the last two or three weeks and two or three that were the next two or three week focuses. So, If it sounds a little bit clunky at first, uh, that's just me being awkward because it's a different rhythm uh, than what Jim and I would normally have in our conversation. So I really try and change the hats a little bit from coach to interviewer on the podcast. And with Jim, it was actually quite difficult for me because our conversations just naturally flowed. (laughs) And uh, what's great about this is uh, Jim and I, you'll hear the second half, we really get into rhythm. We, We find our stride. And uh, I think we finished strong, and there are a ton of take-homes here. Uh, how to get out the, do- out the door every single day, uh, what motivation, purpose, and confidence, um, the goals of working out, as well as the priorities that he has. And I think that most master's athletes over the age of 40, let alone 60, uh, may have, and a whole lot more. We talk about recovery, sleep meditation, stretching and rolling, and a whole host of other topics that will help you, the master's athlete or a coach of a master's athlete, to better connect and better understand what exactly it is you need and should be aiming for to not only find progression in your fitness and health, but also to find massive enjoyment along the way. Now, full disclosure here, one of the main things that was a running uh, theme that Jim and I had is that uh, family was very important. So spending time with his kids and his wife out on the bike or strength training 
was a core tenant. There were a number of videos that either he had taken while working out with his son uh, or his son took while working out with him. Uh, and I think this is just what it's all about. It is sharing the journey with others, being excited about it. And as you'll hear, Jim and I met about three and a half years into his strength training journey. We had a couple of hiccups together as far as life throwing us curveballs, but we managed to work together. Now, before we get into this interview, let's do a very quick HV training update for this past week. So this past week was actually a really busy one uh, in a very good way. Uh, we finalized the travel arrangements as well as uh, I'm working on finalizing the syllabus for the masterclass that I am giving at the Science in Cycling conference here in Bilboa, Spain, June 27th, 2023. And this is a really, probably my best work yet, uh, to be honest. Uh, this is something that we get into the details in the difference between strength training and training for fitness and strength training and training for peak performances. And you'll hear a little bit more about this in today's episode 163 with uh, Dr. Jim Slauson, uh, coaching and training as a grandmaster athlete, uh, where we'll discuss some of these things. And Jim really does a great job of, of culminating the thoughts on his long-term approach. And this masterclass is going to be absolutely uh, phenomenal. I'm very, very excited. Uh, the two or three folks that I've shared with, uh, what I have outlined so far, are really, really excited. So we're talking about mentors and, and other coaches who have been in the, and around the fitness industry for over 20 years each. So uh, if they're excited, I know it's got some really great stuff. Uh, it's actually kept me from falling asleep some nights because I wake up and scribble some stuff down on my notebook next to my bed. Um, but uh, we already have, uh, I think, two people have signed up. There are 10 total seats. So if you're interested, you can go ahead to the link in description or you can just Google Science in Cycling 2023, Science in Cycling 2023. And there on the masterclass, you can sign up. There's an early bird discount, I think, for another week. I think the end of April, April 30th, I believe, is the end of the early bird. So grab your seat because we are going to cap it at 10. The other part of this week that was really exciting and, and a little sad <laughs> is the constant revolving door of athletes being in and out of the country has begun. So I had uh, my enduro athlete return from the first two rounds of the Enduro Mountain Bike World Series uh, down under. He was down in Australia and Tanzania, so he returned back last week. And uh, I had a couple of athletes leave. Uh, two of the track cyclists are over in Switzerland. Another one is now in Italy. Another two are in Spain. And then the track cyclists are currently in Rent uh, for the weekend. So it is just full of... I, I use the term juggling, but that's not really what it is. It's more of the constant monitoring and checking in and... Uh, I have a little bit of a personality, especially when it comes to gifts. I mean, gifts were God's gift to me, is what I like to, to kid with my athletes, because I can find these random, obscure references. I'm like, how do you even know this? Uh, which is absolutely amazing. You know, it's good to get a laugh and uh, help them uh, either focus on what they need or to, and you know, keep it light and fresh. But uh, it's an exciting time of year because it means the new road season has begun, and the national team athletes here have done a fantastic job over the uh, the fall and winter and early spring of really building strength and resiliency, uh, which is uh, really exciting. So we have the intern starting this week. She is going to get rolling with the team session tomorrow, which I am very excited for. And we have uh, some new content on recovery that we're going to be making here mostly for Instagram. So follow at HV Training 
on Instagram. Uh, also this week, my most recent blog post for Training Peaks is going to be released. Uh, it is a short one. I'm kidding. It is long. <laughs> I don't like writing in brevity. Uh, it is something that uh, when it comes to certain topics, I think are really important. Uh, this particular article is about core stabilization training. So I really tap in very, very deep into my own history of a low back injury. Many, many years ago, I can say I've thankfully recovered from that. And uh, my learning uh, over those 15, 17 years, and most recently, the last five or six years to become a McGill certified practitioner, helping those with low back pain. Um, so I'm really excited to have that go out. That piece took me uh, quite some time to write, uh, and it came out very well. So if you would like to learn uh, the, uh, how we need to refine or redefine core stabilization training, keep your eyes open over on Training Peaks. Uh, I not only give you an insight as to what core stabilization truly is, I also give you different progressions to use. So these are very different than the ones uh, from the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification course because we are talking specifically about core stabilization. Um, that course does have uh, over 75 different exercises in progressive succession broken down by movement, including plyometrics, acceleration, plyometrics, deceleration, uh, push-pull, squat, hinge, press, and rotary stability, just to name a few. Uh, and it has been uh, seeing an uptick recently in coaches from around the world. We've had uh, two more certified here in the States. Uh, someone started it from Italy or Spain, I believe. Sorry, no, Portugal. My apologies. And we had two more folks start, uh, one from Portugal and one, or one from Italy and one from Spain. So uh, keep your eyes open for that article. I was very, very ex excited to put that together, uh, and it came out extremely well. Now, let's get into today's episode, uh, 163, with Dr. Jim Slauson. We're, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, you'll hear it's a, a different rhythm than the normal podcast interviews here, um, and a lot of that comes from just how often he and I have spoken. Uh, there's a lot of gold here, man, and that's all Jim. I have to give the credit to him. Um, he really challenges me. Uh, he really brings great questions and great perspective and allows for a lot of growth to happen on both sides as a coach and an athlete. So without much further ado, here's episode 163 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with Dr. Jim Slauson. Jim, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Brody. Thanks for having me. This is a real privilege for me. And the pleasure is all on this side, man. Uh, I, I said right before we hit record that our conversations in the past as a coach athlete, I really, the number of times that we hung up, I'm like, man, I wish we recorded that. Yeah, it's just numerous. Um, but before we jump ahead a little bit, can you share with the listeners who you are and your background a little bit as a professional and an athlete? Well, I'm a 60-year-old father and emergency medicine physician. I'm a lifelong athlete, started out in basketball and ended up in cycling and triathlon, and now I've just been doing cycling for about 20 years. Um, I'm still actively racing and actively trying new things to get better on the bike and combine those into long-term health. My my major focus in life is health span and lifespan. And so I kind of do all of my, all of my exercise, fitness, education, family stuff focused on that. And anything that spills over to improving the bike is wonderful. And that's how we got together. I, I, um, 
probably four or five years ago, I said, well, I need to get back into strength. And so I did that for a while and I followed you for a while. And then finally, about two years ago, two and a half years ago now, I developed the courage to finally said, yeah, I'm going to look to have a coach that I've never had. And that's where we started because I wanted to incorporate strength uh, intelligently into my into my cycling. So here we are. And we worked together for, uh, I think it was 17 months, uh, something along that line. So it was just more than a year and a half. And uh, you're actually working with uh, a previous guest on the podcast here uh, because your interests shifted uh, from the strength training to, okay, I understand this. I understand how my body responds. Uh, again, our conversations were always um, the level of understanding you brought to it and the, the curiosity and the patience. Uh, and now you're moving along in that direction and, and seeing some great results as well. So very much, it seems like your progression has been to really focus down in an area for a good amount of time and, and figure out where you stand, what works, what doesn't work, and what the the mental mind map should be to help you succeed. And then once you have that, you're looking, okay, how do I complement that? Would that be a fair statement? Yes. And, you know, I whenever I choose to take something on, I like to make a commitment of it. You know, I like to give it at least a year. And so um, one of my big limiters was always my breathing with sort of anxiety type of symptoms when when the when I'm racing at altitude or or initially getting started in a hard ride or a race. And so you had worked with me on that and and taught me some things and we read some books and and uh, and I was really doing well, but that's where then I moved to this new coach because we're we're doing a lot of breath work and respiratory training. And so that's just my current focus right now with you. It was strength and the respiratory and the cycling. And now it's more of just the respiratory and you're still coaching me on strength because I'm still doing a program of yours. So um, it, it all ties together. And one of the things that that struck me when we first talked in the uh, initial, uh, not an intake call, but get to know you call and making sure it's a good fit was the understanding of commitment and, and what that actually meant in practice. Can you talk a little bit about how you see success building and, and what you see that that path towards success would look like? Well, um, you know, I think from many sources, we've learned that success comes off of a path of consistency and and that success isn't necessarily the goal success is just the nice little side effects of consistency as you progress along the the overall journey and um and that's where i've really um you know i've always been fairly consistent but i've learned to be even more consistent and understand that it's just uh, it's you know it's the main foundation of getting what you'd like to get to or towards in, in life. Well, with that consistency, uh, you know, nowadays, especially the last five years, you see these uh, 30 day uh, blitzes or, or 90 days, like there are all types of challenges and things there, but you've tended to have a, a very good understanding of the 
ingredients that it takes to create this masterpiece so that is fitness that fits you as opposed to uh, a template. What does that balance look like between thinking today's goals or needs out of the workout two weeks from now, a month from now, a year? And how how do you kind of temper that as you go through? Well, um, I think you just set guideposts of goals you'd like to get to. And then, you know, a framework of what, you know, how to get there and then find the right approach and the right people to help you like yourself um, to get to those. And then just be honest with, with how things are going and the feedback from your body, from your results and being honest with yourself with how you're feeling that you're not overdoing it or not underdoing it. And, you know, trying not to miss out, you know, having a schedule is, is probably the biggest thing. And if it's on a schedule, it's a lot easier to do because you don't have something else scheduled at the time. You'll miss an, an occasional scheduled event. And you just kind of consider that as a blessing because if you're super consistent, it's actually usually good to miss a scheduled thing now and then because that's a little bit extra rest. Um, but you just have to be careful not to break that habit of consistency by too many unscheduled uh, breaks. So, um, you know, you've taught, you taught me to just kind of, you know, we're going to kind of do this two weeks at a time and then we're going to see how this is going. We're going to modify based on that. We know what we want to do six months from now. And, but we're not going to have a six month daily plan between now and then we're going to go a couple weeks at a time and then readjust. Now that maturity to be able to understand, um, that missing a workout can be good. You know, that, that attitude of like, I missed a workout. Good. I was having a blast with the family and that was more important. Um, and I enjoyed that. That's something that a lot of people don't have in general, but it's also something that when we look at the scope of endurance athletics today and competitive athletics, actually, it's one of those things that it, it takes years to learn this. And oftentimes those lessons in athletics are either learned by a younger athlete in their, their teens, twenties, and thirties, uh, because of a, a coach or a mentor who they, they very much look up to and, and have a great relationship with. So they trust, but nowadays we're seeing this shift of these types of, of mentalities coming to the table in a coach athlete relationship, because we have more and more masters athletes, uh, who are, are pushing the boundaries of what we know. And as right before we hit record, you had pointed out, like this is really an unmapped territory, right? And that was where I came up with the Stronger After 50 course to, to share. And it's really interesting to see that a lot of people are just taking and copy and pasting, you know, what worked for people in their 20s and 30s, we're going to just do the same thing in our 50s and 60s and beyond. When you look at the master's athletes lay of the land right now. What do you see as being the big obstacle and what do you see as being the big reward for being in the game at that stage in life where you've learned these lessons, you've developed the maturity to be able to say missing a workout is good and it's serving me. Uh, and how do you see 
other masters athletes being able to progress, I guess would be the word to learn and, and ebb and flow a little bit more. I don't know if that's as clear, uh, yeah, thought. It, you know, like you, like you said, and like we said before we, we recorded, this is kind of unmapped territory, you know, the, uh, I'm 60 years old and, and 60 years ago, there might've been 160 year old guys trying to stay active in sports. Now there's a million 60 year old guys trying to stay active in sports and that logarithmic growth has happened so quickly that, that it's new territory. And so for, for my example, personally, which I think is probably pretty representative was I didn't even have a coach until two years ago. And that's what I think that's probably where I could have done better. Um, I just felt, well, I'd have this erratic schedule and chaotic schedule and I have a family and I race my bike and sometimes I got to go do this and I work nights and sometimes I don't work nights. And so a coach couldn't obviously handle that. Well, that's actually probably where a coach can actually do even better helping, helping with that. So, um, I, I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge right now for the master's athlete is to actively take on a coach to help them guide, you know, their, their workouts, their nutrition plan, their goal posts. And that way the athlete can focus more on their family or their work that they need to do. That's in their wheelhouse. And, and rather than thinking they can program their own workouts and read all the latest sciences to eat the right things, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm rambling a bit, but, you know, my point is that, um, you know, I'm in this population now of people who are learning that, you know, I don't fix my own car. Why do I program my own cycling and strength training? You know, I don't, I don't grow my own vegetables and slaughter my own cow. You know, why do I look at my power curve and decide where I need to train or where I need to not train and what I'm good at or not? Why don't I get an expert to do that? And then I can use, use the, his expertise to actually get a little better, a little bit better with a lot less work and and that's where we are so well that and i apologize for the the question not being as as uh well formed as i thought i can tell that i did that the second week after surgery so <laughs> my, my <laughs> answer was not as well formed either so we'll well, we'll it we'll follows right we'll get to it yeah uh, so the next couple have been refined so it'll be uh much more focused but that's that's where the the train of thought is so important and I, I want to tie this into what you just said, because as master's athletes, the more I've worked with, and I'm, I'm probably in the hundreds at this point, maybe close to a thousand. I, I don't know. It, it depends on the group setting uh, kind of stuff. But as we look at, as I've seen master's athletes progress, and that's been mostly who I've worked with uh, since I first started in uh, 2007, are master's athletes over the age of 45 who are looking for someone who can help them avoid these pitfalls and and recognize the path ahead, even if they are chronologically younger. 
you touched on a, a couple things and, and the comparisons you made, I think uh, really put it in a stark um, reality of it seems to be that a number of masters athletes are really challenged or struggling rather with the idea that one, their body is not what it was in their twenties and thirties, where maybe you've been a runner your entire life, but now you want to get into triathlon and the body doesn't respond quite the same. So part of it is um, that realization of, oh snap, uh, this is harder than I thought, but it's also juxtaposed by the, well, who else is going to know my body as best as me? So there's this internal battle, right? Of can a coach help me, but I don't have as much life experience or they don't know as much. And we also have not the right coach for you out there. I won't say there's bad coaches, but just not the right one. When you look at, you know, the two or three, let's call it three pillars, three to four pillars of making the decision as a master's athlete to work with a coach. What does that thought process look like for you for those four pillars? What is it based off of? Um. Well, I think you have to put your biases aside and, you know, someone like myself is probably going to have a younger coach and, you know, particularly people in my generation are a little more hierarchical and may think that younger means less experienced, you know, but you've worked with hundreds, thousands of people similar to myself and, you have expertise and I know that. So all of a sudden age is not a factor anymore. So now you're just a coach. So, you know, it's, it's, so the first pillar is just uh, a coach that, that, you know, is, that wants to work with masters athletes and has worked with masters athletes. Um, a lot of coaches are still trying to be athletes themselves and still a little bit competitive themselves. And it's still a little bit, um, not really lacking self-confidence, but a little lower. So they're almost competing sometimes with their athletes rather than just enjoying the fruits of their athletes. And so, you know, you get a sense of that when, when you talk to someone. And so, so, you know, kind of the, the, the coach's experience and then just, you know, what your goals are, you know, like, honestly, what are your goals? You want to work with your family. You want to, you want to produce at work. You want to have some hobby. Um, why not be most efficient with, with this, this athletic thing, this cycling in my case. And so that's kind of the second pillar would just be the efficiency of using the right tool, which is, which is coaching rather than self-coaching. Um, and then, you know, this thing of, well, I know myself internally the best, et cetera, et cetera, is we kind of think we do, but we kind of don't, you know, RPE, subjective feelings, et cetera, et cetera, are really very, very crude. And you can think you feel like crap and start your workout and have a great day. Um, and you don't know that until you go out there, but your body can tell you six ways from Sunday that, well, this is a bad idea to go do this today because of X, Y, and Z and how I feel and things like that. And so, 
Um, so there's so much subjectivity. If, if it's me just doing all the programming and being accountable, that having the objective coach on the other end allows me to say, okay, this is what's planned. Let's go do this and see how it goes. Um, so it takes a lot of the subjectivity out of the decision of what to do today, tomorrow. So um, that that that's a little bit into the efficiency thing is getting rid of some of the subjectivity. And then finally, I think it's just the relationship. Um, I don't know if I'm completely representative of of the master's athlete. I, I suspect I probably am pretty representative, but you know, like our relationship of your teaching and your approach to being patient with me and allowing me to learn um, is is just it, the relationship is so important too that it's not just a, a training plan on a on a piece of paper and go do this. It's you know, this is why we're doing this. What do you think, Jim? And, you know, once once you've explained to me why we're doing something, and then you, you actually make me work hard a lot of times because you actually make me figure it out and explain it to you before we actually do it. And so then once, once I understand it to that regard, it's a natural thing to go out and do rather than, oh, that's this workout, let's go, let's go do this like a robot. Oh, that's this workout, let's go do this. So, you know, programming with a personal sense of exactly why we're doing it and and is is the, that'd be the fourth pillar, I say. And what you just described is, is to me, it, what the first thing that comes to mind listening to you describe the the relationship that we had and and each relationship with the athletes I have are extremely unique. I mean, every single one is different. It's it seems that that has been one of the biggest challenges when I first start working with uh, masters athletes, specifically over the age of forty nine, forty eight, forty nine. So somewhere around. Uh, 1970, 75, where the attitude for the coaches, you know, you think about gym class, you know, uh, my, el- my, I, I, my elbow hurt, uh, rub during it, take a lap, you know, that mentality where the, the individual athlete is coming to the relationship with the expectation of what they experienced, because that's the only experience they know. Have you found as you've, you've gone through uh, your development through the sport of cycling, have you found that that is a representation of the cohort as far as when they first go into a coaching relationship, they expect, you know, I like your term of checking it off like a robot, just get, you know, just go through. Or do you find that with the flood of information and the freedom of information that there's more masters athletes uh, in your sphere uh, of, of riding who are genuinely looking to understand things and, and progress rather than just check the boxes. I think, I think, you know, my cohorts looking to understand things and particularly because, you know, I've got more years behind me than I've got ahead of me. And so particularly, I think we want to be doing things that may help us on the bike, but are actually good for us overall and may actually add years or healthy, active years to ourselves and, um, you know, so we will read about things like, you know, 
top level athletes have low bone mineral density and that's not a good thing or there's so many eating disorders and that's not a good thing um and you know if you're a professional trying to make a living in your 20s maybe you can do that for a little bit and and then recover from that but you know we i think i think most of us understand that that's we 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 need to to we need to be in it for the long term um, and not just looking for short, short gains at, at the cost of the long term. Um, and, you know, going back to what I've seen most people's coaching experience, I, I think as I reflect on it, it's, it mainly comes down to the relationship. It's the relationship that helps them the most as they, as they train and succeed. And that relationship magic of coaching yeah yeah and that relationship is so important that the coach also understands you know what are the motivations that the individual has coming into exercise and what is their real goal you know as simon sinek uh pointed out in, in his book start with why you've got to ask why seven times essentially to get to that core layer you know how do you how do you balance or how do you look at the different goals from working out and and really exercising, like we call it training, but if we break it down to its core, no pun intended, it's it's exercising and moving, which ties into uh, much more of a, uh, I want to enjoy my retirement years. Um, that was essentially why the first four or five master's athletes came to me. They're like, the conversation we had while you were selling me, you know, this, the nutrient supplements, whatever it was, it's very clear that you're going to keep me so that 15, 20 years from now, I'm enjoying my retirement, not, you know, <laughs> hobbling around the golf course, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm speaking from my personal viewpoint, but, you know, I think that the goal of life is to, you know, I, I think the, I think the fact that we were given this body and that we were given this mind are such amazing blessings that, that we should want to get all out of them for as long as possible that we can. So with that in mind, you know, my, my, my personal goal, and I would hope that most people's goals would be that in their nineties, they are able to go on vacation and put a suitcase up over head in the luggage compartment. And they could go for a little bike ride in the neighborhood with their kids and they can get up off the floor when they're playing dominoes with teaching dominoes, if that's even around anymore, uh, 40 years from now, um, to their grandkids. And, and, you know, but then, then as a scientist, I, then I kind of look at things like, well, how does that happen? And so what I've learned is that it happens through keeping your VO2 max up, keeping your strength up, keeping your mobility up, and just keeping your general health as high as possible. And so that's sort of the framework of what I think I need to do to have that ultimate goal of in the nineties of, of just being a functional human being with my kids and grandkids and, and whoever else wants to go out and play and do things at the time. Um, so then how do I get there? And, you know, fortunately I'm kind of a lifelong athlete and I think that's the primary path to getting there is, is being an athlete because you then have community and learn about teamwork 
and you learn about consistency and you learn about strength and conditioning. And then if you just decide like I do and like so many people do, this is going to be a sport I want to continue to do. You know, let's let's focus on this sport called cycling with that long-term goal in mind of, of you know, I want to, I, I don't want to just burn through metabolically so so that I'm going to develop diabetes later because I'm doing all this high intensity sort of high intensity training you know I let's do the aerobic base because that's the foundation of it all let's dabble in the high intensity stuff because we need that later and it's also healthy just in general and let's talk about sleep because that's where it all starts for recovery and nutrition or excuse me, for recovery and growth. And then let's talk about nutrition because that's going to help me on the bike, but it's also going to prevent me from getting cancers and and diabetes and heart disease and things like that. So, you know, meld those, the micro goal of, of being a good cyclist with the long-term goal of being a healthy human and lifelong athlete. You mentioned a couple of points in there and, and two in particular I'd like to touch on here is one, the idea of, of, well, you kind of alluded to it, but one is like your best years can be ahead of you. Like uh, there's, you can still PR. Is it going to be a personal record or personal best for your five second sprint? Chances are probably not. That, like that's, you probably have a like higher likelihood of getting hit by lightning, but your VO2 max, especially if you haven't trained before, uh, in a way that will allow you to maximize your recovery and you're doing the things like you mentioned, the nutrition, the sleep will allow you to, to see better results. And also, you know, one minute power, uh, that was something that uh, I think a number of masters athletes really don't have a full understanding as far as, um, this has to do with heart health where, where if we do it properly and we understand the specific type of effects we'd like to have, we can actually make your heart stronger, not just in the classic endurance way where the left ventricle is getting uh, stronger and thicker because it's it's pumping blood slowly, but it's the force at which it is pushing out. And these things though, and this is the second point, um, you know, Tom, Fre uh, uh, Joe Friel, excuse me, talks about it in his, his book, Stronger After 50, that motivation to go out and hurt yourself, you know, five by 30 seconds all out, it just... Around the age of 30, it tends to, you know, we have this uber competitive, of course, but how do you, how do you look at the well-roundedness and building the consistency that's needed in order to do the things that are not riding your bike or not swim bike run that are going to help you maintain that level of productivity and enjoyment as a master's athlete? Do you see it as stages? Do you see it as just, you know, sucking it up, rub during it, take a lap, you know, rub during it, do your strength training? How do you look at that? Well, you know, I like to keep things very basic. And right now I'm listening to um, this, this basically couple college year course on the Huberman podcast with uh, Andy Galpin. And, you know, he, he just very nicely you know, basically this, this fitness thing that we're doing, you know, the goals of it are to, to look good, feel good and play good. And so if we just keep it that simple, you know, you, the things you, you want to 
You want to look good. You want to keep your body composition good. You want to keep your muscle mass and your strength. So you look good. You want to feel good. And that comes through sleep and nutrition and not developing these diseases. So fitness is the goal there. I mean, fitness is the pathway and, and recovery and, and nutrition. And then you want to play good. And that's, you know, the, the playing good is sort of the side effect of looking good and feeling good and doing the work. And it's also what is maybe where most of the fun comes from. And so if you go out, you know, with your buddies and do real well on the bike and have a great bike ride, you know, that, that paid off, that's that carrot for the day. Um, and then, you know, then you just look at the components of, well, what do I have to do to keep doing that? And there's just, I think there's like nine things ranging from just skill all the way down to just basic aerobic with various levels of different types of aerobic training in there, different types of strength training in there and power and speed and, um, and just dabbling into all of those things, which is what you do in your strength training programming and then combining it on the bike, which is more the aerobic side. And um, yeah, it, it's all very playful. And, but the overall goal is to look good, feel good and play good and to do that in, into the nineties. And do you see the, the building of, of consistency as, because when we started with strength training, you were very committed to it, right? So we start off with twice a week and then I said, okay, well, let's add a third one. Uh, and there wasn't a, a, a fight there, but it was really just a little bit of, oh, okay, sure. And, and this is, maybe getting to the, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but essentially when we added that third one, it was, okay, well, we're, we're going to try this. Let's, let's see how it goes. I enjoy strength training that much, but uh, essentially it's in addition to what you've already seen results with. And and we had a little bit of a hiccup with, with the consistency. Um, and you had said this in the email before uh, we, we uh, actually on the podcast today, Back then, you also made a comment of it of I'm gonna the consistency record or something along those lines. The uh, uh, the consistency, yeah, the consistency record. I I can't read my writing, but the consistency record is going to start over essentially. So you were like, this is a new mind, beginner's mind, right? So even though we're just adding one, it was an attitude of okay, now I have to go through that process again. Um, you mentioned consistency about being stages in the email, uh, which I thought was very, very good. Um, do you mind kind of talking about that? Cause you're, you're, and I'm a little bit disjointed here and I apologize for that. Um, but essentially you're talking about moving forward, uh, as a master that athlete and just doing the other things, but there's so much more into that, right? So it's getting into that, that routine and understanding that there's other things you need to do that you may not in the moment, enjoy it, but it's going to allow you to have that enjoyment now and 20, 30, 40 years from now. Right. Right. Well, those, those three stages, it's kind of, it's kind of a little play, um, a play on just some kind of Buddhist philosophies and, and, uh, and, you know, basically there's say three or four stages of life. Um, but the way I look at consistency is, is, um, you know, like when you're young, and you think you have all the time in the world and 
and you skip workouts, um, you know, it's like, well, I couldn't work out because this came up and I couldn't work out because that came up. And I, you kind of stay in what I call the victim stage. And so that impedes the consistency, but you get away with it because you're young and you, you can bounce back real quick. And then as you really start taking things on and understanding you need to be consistent, then you enter this kind of warrior phase where you're, you know, I'm going to do this despite the fact that I'm working and I've got to take care of the kids and, you know, I can do it all and there's no limits. And that's where you sort of probably cut sleep and still get away with it though. Cause you can kind of get away with it still. Um, but then as you get older, you realize, you know, I, I just taken all of this stuff on how much of this stuff is really necessary. How much am I just doing out of habit? Let's start peeling things away and it's like, okay, now I'm doing the things that I want to do. And now I'm consistent because I just, I just dance with every, and I call it the dancer phase. And I just dance with every, the things that come up in life. Cause I've gotten rid of this need to fight, to be consistent or to blame um, external events from, from keeping me consistent. Um, and that was just one of the beautiful, beautiful things of, of Corona and and I apologize if anybody's offended by that, because I, I know there's a lot of people that had a very bad time during Corona. But just the fact that most people had to shut down what they normally did on a daily basis really gave a chance to, you know, what is really important to me? What do I really want to be doing? How much am I doing just because I've added it on? I've, I've layered it on, layered it on, layered it on. How much can I unlayer? And, and that's probably something that also just comes with age too, is just stripping some of those layers of the onion that, that you don't need anymore and getting to the root of it. And that allows you to be consistent with the things that you want to be consistent with. You know, at this point in my life, there's only four things that I'm trying to be consistent with. And that's my sleep, my family, my work, and my workouts. And, and if, if this was 20 years ago, I had two or three jobs and I was trying to swim and bike and run and maybe lift weights. I played some golf, played basketball, and I went to my kids' soccer games and, you know, I did all of it and in the warrior phase and I wasn't doing much of it really, really well. Like what you're hearing? Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Again, I'm I'm rambling, but this is just not at all passionate stuff to me. And I think you know we're finding our stride here in the second half because most of our conversations were very free flowing. So both of us did a lot of preparation for this, which I think is uh, we're trying to 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 guide uh, and give you the listener as much as we can. But what you just touched on are, are I think the obstacles that most um, masters athletes really struggle with is. We've talked about coaching, right? So the chronological age is one thing. You've got to understand that there's a different expertise, right? So um, that's number one. Number two is that there are changes in the body um, and how you're able to to work out. So just because you did something even 10 years ago, once you hit 40, 45, there really are some changes that happen in the body because that's a, a time in life where if you had kids, they're in their mid to late teens, most likely, maybe you still have some little ones. That's totally cool. Um, and that's another challenge, right? Because then you start to have these changes to sleep and everything you're just talking about, like you were doing all this different stuff 
you know, guys like to play squash because they get to hang out with other men or women who are in their same field or they enjoy that perspective and that that little bit of push, but then they're doing biking and then they're doing this. So they feel like jack of all trades because there's a number of um, uh, cross-pollination between all these different things, right? So if you want to have the networking, everybody plays squash. You have to play squash twice a week or at least once a week. And then the bike riding is something you really enjoy, but the kids are going to soccer practice where you can run. So you might as well run. And right. that seems to be one of the challenges with um, masters athletes and, and the consistency is really, you know, that victim, as you, you've called it from the, the Buddhist uh, approach or, or um, based off of that, that seems to be the biggest struggle is people in this stage of life tend to get stuck in, I can't, I'm skipping workouts because things are changing my schedule. The kids work, travel, whatever, a project came up. I had to work late. I had to put this fire out. You're also carrying more responsibility at work. Uh, you're also right. thinking more about where are my finances, how's my IRA, how's my retirement account, right? And being stuck there, the automatic shift tends to be, well, I'm just going to go to Warrior. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to get it all done. But there's, again, no real focus. It's like, well, I'm going to get really good at cycling. Well, I also like playing squash. Tough. How do you? How did that process go for you? Or how do you see that process of, I think it comes down to maturity and, and also a little bit of selfishness of going, I have all these people and things that are relying on me, but unless I take care of number one, nothing else is going to happen. I, I'm going to be the the plug that keeps the the abundance from flowing, so to speak. Um, I, I think that's a benefit that that the your generation and the younger generation is going to have is I think they've kind of understood that earlier on um, that that they kind of need to put themselves first and and uh, and maybe put their health first rather than the money or the status or all of that thing. So the young, so that's my generation was always do more, do more, accumulate more, take on more, show no weakness. There are no limits and, you know, build this, this very house of cards that looks good and is pretty good but but has some weak foundation here and there and can really struggle and we get away with it because we're human and we're strong. And then, you know, once you hit the old age, like I'm at, you know, you can start peeling away the stuff you don't really need and, and, and build the stronger foundations of the things that, that really are, are most important to you. Well, let's, can I interject for a second? Mm -hmm. You use the term old age that I'm at, Jim, you're, yeah. Not and I think that right there is is at the crux for many masters athletes of they're looking at as oh I'm old I'm just I'm just using the body while I can, but when you come down to it once you get into um, understanding yourself a little bit better and that that coach athlete relationship or finding a good resource, there's so much more that can be done when we get you to understand like you're just starting. Like you got another good 60 years, man. Yeah. You know, we, we don't know when our end is, but we know science rough. There aren't too many 120 year olds out there, right? So 120 seems to be the upper limit. There are some that say 125, but then 
is the birth certificate legit or, you know, when was this produced? Where was it produced? So let's say 120 is the max. So really you're, you said before, there's more good years behind you than in front of you. I look at it at the different way of here's someone who has this all this life experience, uh, who has a great understanding of themselves. They also have the maturity to be able to say, I don't know and ask. That's a good question. Or, or let's find out together that curiosity. And the last thing is, um, that mentality of, uh, I, I don't remember the verbiage you just used, but I see that as a strength. It's just a matter of harnessing that, you know, more is more and more and more. I think my generation has it harder actually, because there's too much, you know, everybody thinks they can be an entrepreneur and make it because, you know, you have Gary V and whatever else. It's like, dude, it ain't like that. <laughs> the day in, day out, you're going to have one day out of maybe two years where you're just crushing it. Yeah. And I, I just kind of, I wanted to, to interject because that's such a, it's like knocking yourself down, right? It's it's being guilty instead of uh, um, there's guilt and there is uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I was just listening to a Susan David book, uh, Emotional Agility. So she talks about guilt is one side, so and you're punishing yourself, and the other side of it is is you're forgiving with yourself. And that seems to be a trend with all the, most of the master's athletes is they tend to be very guilty about things. It's like, dude, you, you've got so much ahead of you. Yeah. And I, and I've gotten past that. Um, you know, I, I think one thing where going back 20 years ago to that hustle bustle time of having kids, soccer practice, work, squash, cycling this that the other see i think that's where a coach could really help there is is you know say okay what do you got coming up this week all right well you can go for the jog during the soccer practice things like that just just little little wins here and there is is kind of that builds that foundation um rather than trying to figure it all out when things are so when things are so dense in your schedule back you know, back as your kids are growing up. Um, and, you know, as, as, as a master's athlete, um, you know, one of the most powerful books I've read in the past few years is the, you are the placebo and just how much the mind has determines, you know, what actually happens inside of our bodies. And, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you that, that there have been changes in my body and my sleep pattern and, and, you know, my hair and things like that, 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 uh, no matter how hard I think about it, I don't think it's going to change too much, but, um, maybe, maybe we don't have to decline as maybe part of our quote decline is because we read that, well, you lose 1% of muscle mass every year over the age 40 and you, you lose one heartbeat per year over the age 30 and, and this, that, the other. And, and so maybe some of that's just expectation to lose it so but if you just understand that you know by positive thinking and by working with what you got but not expecting decline you probably do slow that process down quite a bit so you're right yeah i'm i'm not old and i do have a lot of uh years ahead of me i i, mean I honestly do believe that Think about it. In our time together, uh, we had what six or seven personal records all time. Yeah, something like that. Um, 
Tour of Gila, I think that was, if I remember correctly, it wasn't that you you finished the highest, but that your ability to get back and throw the leg over the top to day after day, like I don't feel, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but essentially you said, I don't feel like, you know, I just got run over by a truck at the end. Like I can go out and enjoy. Um, and, and I can't take credit for that. That is all the years that you've put into knowing your body and yourself that you brought to the relationship and being able to go through um, but the ability to feel that freshness still, you know, and not feeling like you're, you're moving backwards in the, the sands of time. I think the mentality, the mindset is a huge part of that. We, you know, we had Norman Vincent Peale, uh, started that back in the 1960s, 1970s with the power of positive thinking. And now we are seeing science has progressed so much, you know, Wim Hof comes to, to mind, you know, not because of the breathing and the ice water, but because of how this one person has allowed science to really study him and see how he's changed through that mentality. And we're only starting to understand the power that the mind can have over the body. But when we get to the point, I, I think somewhere around our forties is when we tend to get really stuck in because we've, we've figured out for the most part, the family rhythm or the work rhythm, right? So we've been around long enough. We kind of understand what the lay of the land is and where we want to go. Life throws stuff yeah. at us. But it's also a negative in that it's almost like you're on autopilot, right? So how as a master's athlete can we improve our ability to not go on cruise control of old? You know, you just used to set it at 60 and the car just goes 60. The car in front of you is stopping. Now the newfangled cars have radar and it slows you down and speeds you up. How do we as master's athletes make that leap in evolution of, of understanding we're not going on autopilot? We're not, this isn't no set path ahead. Like you've got really great stuff ahead of you. You can do this. This is how we, we need to go. Well, I mean, uh, certainly a relationship with a coach can help you with that adjustable speed, adjusting to the cars in front of you and behind you and speeding up when you need to and slowing down when you don't. Um, the, the, um, um, you know, I am, I'm the fittest. I, I've been a lifelong athlete, um, but I'm the fittest now that I've ever have been. And that started with you just, you know, putting, putting the pieces together in the right order with strength and cycling and, and mobility and breath work and things like that. And so, you know, there's, there's just so many new areas to explore that uh, don't necessarily add, we can kind of subtract some things and add a little something, you know, just this power of, of your podcast a few weeks ago, just to, the simple things of like turning your workout on and off with your breath. And, you know, you, even, even in the three years we've known each other, you know, you've, you've even more put breath into the dynamic workout you've combined the dynamic movement with the breath to get the workout started and so there's so many complementary things that uh that are pretty simple to add um that that gets you a lot of bang for the buck and i think that's where the master's athlete really can benefit is from these simple tools and rules to get things going and to get things stopped and to start the recovery process and to start the workout process and then to put the 
work out behind and move on to being a husband and a father and and uh, going out on date night and things like that. So um, the relationship with the coach, it, it really comes down to that. I, you know, I, I have been doing this for 60 years and I learned more in my two years with you than I did in 20 years before that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade places. I'm glad that my journey was the way that it was because um, I did build a foundation but it was ready to be unlocked when when we started working together. I think it's important to to point out to the listeners that that you know the, the power of this conversation to me so far is in that there's a there's a constant theme of there's a flow, right? We we tend when we're younger to segmentalize or compartmentalize the different parts of our life. Yes, family and exercise and work and sleep. But what you just described there is is and it's not plus, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this and this and this, and it's it's that uh, almost like putting a quilt together where everything is stitching together and each line is different. So each line could represent a day, a week, a month, whatever you'd like it to be. But what you're talking about there seems to be and and throughout here is as a master's athlete, number one, you can perform the best ever. And mm -hmm. not because you were, you know, going couch to, to 5k, we're talking about your experiences that you bring to the table to a relationship with a coach, the right coach for you, which I'm, I'm not for everybody. You know, people are surprised at the end of some of the get to know you calls. I say, great, I'm going to refer you to someone else. I go, well, I want to pay you. Like, how do I pay you? I, I'm not the best fit for you. Let's talk with this other. And nine times out of 10, they talk with that other coach and they stay with them, which is, which is great. Right. And so important. And I think a lot of master's athletes are hesitant because they feel like they have to choose one, right? Like when you you told me you were uh, moving to work with Steve, I was ecstatic. I was so excited. I was like, this is fantastic because that's the next evolution for him, right? Because that's going to speed up your learning. As a master's athlete, do you see others other masters athletes coming into a coaching relationship with a mentality of this is the one and, and, and having that struggle of, well, clearly it's not working out. What else is out there? You know, there's lots of different spices. There's two different types of cinnamon, Ceylon and the other one. I don't even know what the other one is. That's, that's a hard question for me to answer. Um, I think it's a hard question because I do know that, you know, human nature, we're looking for the secret and there really is no secret you know there's foundational work and hard work and consistency and and um and so you know if we are going to work with a coach i think a, a lot of people will want to be like well this is the only guy that can do this for me or else i'm wasting my time so this has to be at this you know so um, i don't know how to really phrase it all that well but um yeah, I think just being open-minded and and being honest with each other for the first few months of whether you think it's a long-term relationship or not, and and just going into it with that mindset. Say, listen, we need to we need to date for a while and be honest with with how things are going before we commit, because you know if we commit before we figure out how things are going 
we may not want to get out just because, and we may really not be doing each other a, a service, you know? I mean, me separating from you was very difficult for me because our relationship was so, so good. And um, um, there's just a couple things I wanted to do that that Steve offered, um, and I was excited to go. But it was stuff that you had started me on the pathway there, and it was just my direction because because my respiration is such an important thing to me in a limiter. Um, so, yeah. Well, that touches on, uh, I think, two important things. One is the importance of communication. And there, are, you know, if you're a listener out there and you want someone that gives you a plan and it's yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you just go, that is what's going to most likely work for you. But there's still that level of communication needs to be there. Um, you know, I look at it, I, I actually just had a conversation, uh, a tough one with an athlete um, that had a fantastic year last year, grew immensely. Uh, he saw great results. And then he we had the end of year and he said, look, coming up this next year, I've got a lot of different things going on. I got a big work project. Uh, the company's being bought. I don't know what that's going to be like. My wife is essentially retiring. Like she she reached the, the uh, minimum age and she had had enough. So she's retiring. So that's a whole new life rhythm, right? She was usually out of the house first at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And he would get up at five and ride the trainer and have the house to himself. So there's that. Um and essentially this year, it, it came down to there wasn't any communication from that side. And and at first, it was a very gentle like, hey, let's see how we can improve this. And then, hey, we really need to work on this to this isn't really working out from my end. And, and the honesty that you can have in building that relationship, and you talked about dating a couple months, that mentality seems to be missing. Like, I think you put it very eloquently, you know, this is the person for me. And And that attitude of dating is so absolutely important. And why do you think that is that most people don't look at a coaching relationship that way? Is it just like white coat syndrome, but a coach is, you know, like, oh, this person's helped Manny. So obviously he's going to, and this one helped Michelle. I don't know why I'm choosing M, but this one really helped Michelle. So it's got to be the coach for me. Why is that? Do you think? Oh, I think that's just cognitive wiring of the brain that, uh, we need to think we're making the right decision and not live in a gray area of is this right? Is this not right? Is this right? Is this not right? And so we feel we have to kind of be all or nothing and commit. And that's just kind of how our brains are this the happiest. Um, and then if it's really not working, then you, can make up reasons why oh well it'll get better and this is the reason and it's all this external stuff and so you know being being honest and 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 uh, you know really being honest with yourself and being honest in the relationship is difficult because then you feel like well if i if i change from this person then i was wrong and being wrong isn't a real comfortable place for people to be i don't like being wrong you don't like being wrong and it's certain own we certainly don't want to let people down that that we think are relying on us. You know, Menachem's relying on me to perform well in this relationship and in this training. And and so I'm just going to keep doing it, you know, because I don't want to let him down. And and so, but that's where 
you know, you, you as a coach and, and most other coaches I listen to, you can tell that they have a way of talking with people that, that they don't, you don't end up in that situation. I want to come back to that in a minute because you, you touched on uh, cognitive wiring and we think that that's just how things are. And, and training around injuries, I mean, that is one where I cannot tell you how, that is probably the number one reason. I would say that or a change in, in a, a drastic unexpected change in finances are the two top reasons why people stop working together with me. Right. And there's a natural evolution. So I'm not talking about we've gotten to the point where they need to move on or should move on to someone else because their interests are focused, like with you. Right. Training through an injury, and we had a pretty significant one, right? So right. Uh, we went through the movement assessment. I identified uh, not through the movements assessment, but actually after because you had asked to keep the deadlift. So there was just a little bit of a hiccup, and I identified, hey, you've got a, a, a spiny hinge right back here. And we had that communication, and you said, well, I really love deadlifting. So what do you think I can do to keep going? And and we have that injury. Most people at that point, I'm just going to let the physical therapist do it. Or I'm, I'll come back, you know, we're going to take a break and come back. What was that process like for you going through an injury? And, and why did you decide to keep with the coaching at that point in time, as opposed to, well, I'm going to do this and, and take care of it and then come back to, to things? Well, I mean, quick background, you know, I was doing a day of heavy squats and deadlifts a week while I was working two days a week with your program. And it was just an important thing for me because it was something I shared with my son and my wife. And that's why I wanted to continue that. And I was careful. I mean, I can tell you when I did hurt my back, um, but that's, we don't need to go completely off into the details of, but, you know, um, all of a sudden, six months in, I just, was doing an innocent little deadlift or, or it might even be a squat. And I ruptured a disc in my back acutely. And I had this profound weakness in my leg and I'm a doctor. I kind of know these aren't good things. And, and especially, you know, with quad weakness, that's, that could be a permanent limp. And so I got it taken care of really quickly, but you know, it was my decision to do that. You know, you worked with me, the, best you could so so uh, you know there was no there's no you know I owned the injury so that was the first step was like this is what I chose to do and, and I've injured myself so I own this injury and I want to own getting better too and you know you and I share a love for McGill back and that's the pathway back from injury and so that, you know, that was the first thing we did was like, okay, we are going to, you know, I, I want you to rebuild my back in a safe fashion so I can get back to cycling when I can be get back to it. And we discussed timeframes and we were patient and, um, you know, I looked at it as kind of a gift and we talked about the book, the gift of injury, which, um, is, is a good read. And, you know, to me, to me, the injury was a gift because it, you know, all of this exercise, all of the cycling over the years, you wonder, well, am I addicted to this? Is this something that I can't live without? If this is ever taken away from me, am I just going to be like going through withdrawal and, and have no purpose? And I honestly didn't miss the cycling one bit. 
um, I enjoyed, we just worked on the back and slowly we were walking and then we were doing back exercises and then we were doing some movement and I forget if it was 10 or 12 weeks before I was on the, the bike again, but I honestly didn't miss the bike. And so that was a, that was a gift to me to know that if this is taken away from me, it's not the end of my world. So that was, that was part of the gift. And then just rebuilding stronger from the get go. I mean, once I got back on the bike at 10 or 12 weeks, within three or four weeks, I was flying again. And, and, uh, you know, there's a couple things I wanted to do and, and it was a little earlier than you really wanted me to do it, but you knew I wanted to do them. So we did them and, you know, it's like, well, these are really hard and now we need to recover from this and, and now start a slower build on the bike. And so we just worked, worked it together and, and, you know, got it to work out. Well, as, as you went through that process though, what was the, what was the mindset of, of you coming into that like okay this is a time that i can easily you know it's the easiest sell in the world like i've got an injury i got to take a break versus okay we're going to work together to around this not through this a lot of people say we're going to work through an injury i'm like well that would be kind of be trying to do bicep curls right now that would be kind of silly but around it is hey i can do supine uh tricep extensions i can do you know shoulder abduction what was your thought process going through that did you see it as here's an opportunity to have more value and 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 get stronger and move more because a lot of folks seem to get to that point and go oh well I, I can't do that they they don't see the full swiss army knife that many coaches have not just myself you know obviously a low back injury is very specific and we happen to have the right people in the right place but a lot of other coaches i see triathletes Oh, well, you know, I've got horrible shin splints. Um, and their coach is very well equipped to help with it. They're like, oh, hey, how's your athlete doing? Oh, they decided to take a break because they're injured. You know, what was that thought process like of I'm going to continue with the training versus I'm going to check out and, and take care of this and then maybe I'll come back or I will come back? Well, I mean, I wanted to come back to cycling if I could. And I wanted to come back to it at the same level or better if I could, and I know your expertise in back. Um, I know your expertise in strength. I know your expertise in cycling programming. We'd had a year together. I had complete trust in your, um, in you. And, you know, I, I just knew that this would be the most efficient, effective, safest way for me to get back to where I want it to be. And so it was more important than maybe the times that we were training on the bike and in the gym, you know, the slow progression, the, the, you know, starting with planks on the wall and then planks on the bed, you know, and just a slow progression and feedback. And we had a couple little tiny setbacks here and there backed up just a little bit, talked about it, figured out what happened and move forward. I'm hearing, and this might just be recency bias, but I'm hearing through our conversation today, a lot of themes and things that were discussed with uh, an interview we posted here on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when this goes up, and that is with uh, Stephen Moody. And that is the relationship and the, the 
communication between the athlete and coach. It sounds to me uh, and has been my experience that the masters athletes tend to do much better when there is a effort put in on both sides to building the relationship. The training kind of is a fruit of that relationship. Perfect. Has that Perfect. been your experience as well? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what would you say to the listeners out there who they've been riding for a while? They're, they're well-read like yourself, by the way, for, for those listening, uh, Jim is, uh, one of the the deepest read on many of the subjects that that I coached him on, and the things that you would pull, um, like wow, I I know exactly where he's getting that, and I can understand that thought process. Um, the reason I mention that is I think that's the type of listener we have here is that they're masters athletes, they're well read, they know what they don't, they know what they know, but they also recognize they know what they don't know. What would be two or three things you've learned over the last two and a half, three years of, of being coached um, that have really helped you spring forward in your performances in life, not necessarily sport? I think, you know, number one is just the power of breath work to... Um, you know, regulate your parasympathetic nervous system to start your workouts, to end your workouts, to use as a training tool and uh, and and a performance enhancer. Um, just the the relationship, having a relationship with a coach where you can learn, you can question and then learn from, from his experience. And, you know, I know a whole lot about a whole, I know a whole little about a whole lot of things. And when something is important and I bring it up, you can teach me what actually the whole depth of it from, from that standpoint. So there's, you know, the, just the coaching um, depth process, the breath work, and then just the power of consistency and, and the results are just come from that. Absolutely love it. Let's finish with a, a hard one. Uh oh. When you look at, your overall balance. What have you found that's helped you keep your sport and your work and your life? Like what are, what are things that have helped you balance Jim out as you've gone through your years of competing in sport and then moving into coaching or being coached, I should say. Well, I think I started out in my thirties when my kids were really, really young and I said, you know, I think the I think the order of importance in life is health, family, friends, work. And those four things are generally flipped the other other way. People put their work first, then their friends, then their family, and then their health. So they never got to their health and they maybe didn't give their family too much. You know, the friends got quite a bit and then 
they dove into their work and they thought they were doing the work for the family, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that if you flip it and you put your health first, everything for your family and your friends and your work benefits from that. And then, you know, if you put your family second, it just makes you a better athlete. It makes you better at work. It makes you a better friend. Um, and that's just kind of where, so I started there, you know, gosh, almost 30 years ago now, and I'm kind of come back there again. Like I said, the, the four things that are important to me are my sleep, my family time, my workout time and my work time and anything else out of that. I need to say, Hmm, is this something I really want to do or, or, uh, um, am I just doing it because it's become a habit? And maybe it needs to be looked at. Absolutely love it. I think that is uh, all so true, especially these days with how, how easy it is to just keep working. It's not like it used to be. You walk out the door and the work is there and you're here. Jim, is there anything that you'd like to share or discuss that we haven't talked about today? I honestly don't think so. Um, I hope... Uh... I hope others find this conversation useful and, um, you know, I hope it just encourages people to explore you as a coach, other coaches as a coach, um, just to get the most out of what their goals are in, in their sport and understand how much it will spill over to benefit your, your family and your life and your long-term health in this fantasy of being in the nineties and playing with your kids and getting up and down off the floor and, and being healthy, you know, doing that stuff rather than going to doctor's appointments and, and sitting in a chair next to the oxygen machine. So uh, just, just, I hope it motivates people because I'm, I'm more motivated now than I was two years ago when we met and you have a lot to do with that. And, and, uh, and I think I'm going to be more motivated 10 years from now because I just, I love what we're doing. Well, Jim, I, I really appreciate your friendship. I, I appreciate you. And uh, hopefully we'll be giving uh, Dr. Peter Atia uh, a whole bunch of uh, thousands and thousands of uh, Centurion decathletes uh, to there come and, and set some new records. There we go. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jim. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brody. Hey, Menachem here, and I just wanted to ask if you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast episodes, please hit the subscribe button. Our goal here is to hit 50,000 subscribers or followers in 2023 before year's end, and it would really mean a lot to me to have your support and to know that you are out there listening, looking forward to each weekly episode that we put out here at the SSCT podcast. Thanks, and have a great week. Talk to you guys next Sunday. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.